Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. So this morning, we'll be telling you a story about life itself, and we'll need your help to make the story turn out right. (laughs) At one point in the story, I'll ask you to help call the sun back to the land of the north, and we'll do that together by jingling our keys. So can you help me by jingling your keys, or perhaps a grown-up sitting near you has keys you can jingle? All right. Yeah, that'll do. Wonderful. So now we'll put our keys away so they can stay silent until just the right moment in the story. I'll tell you when. And for very little hands, maybe a grown-up can hold the keys until we're ready. Now for the story of life itself. Long ago... The land of the north was filled with wise old trees. The trees stood mighty and tall, and their wide leaves stayed green all year long. Every morning, life itself, a fiery orb, rose in the sky. Life itself smiled upon the trees, giving them warmth and light. The trees smiled upon the humans giving them wood and fruit. The humans smiled upon each other, sharing what they had. One day, life itself was called to the lands of the south, for it was needed there. Before it left, it spoke. Do not fret. My friend, darkness will watch over you while I am gone. Remember, life itself returns. Life itself always returns. With that, life itself turned and moved toward the south. Darkness moved in, just as it had promised. Though the air got colder, the humans did not worry, not at first. One being who lived among the humans was fear. Now fear had always been present, whispering, be careful of the fire lest you get burned. Don't let your children stray too far. Now that life itself moved farther south and darkness was watching the humans more often, fear began to speak more plainly. Beware of your neighbors. Watch out for the forest creatures. The humans began to listen and worry. Where is life itself? Why did it leave us alone? The trees, seeing their worry, called out, Life itself returns. Life itself always returns. You must trust. The trees saw that the humans were still afraid, so they called out to darkness. As darkness moved among them, their leaves of green turned to yellow, orange, and red. Surrounded by color, The humans forgot their worries and smiled upon one another once again. 
fear, however, continued to speak. It's getting colder. Will there be enough firewood? Surely you'll freeze while your neighbor stays warm and toasty. The humans began to worry again. They began to cut down branch after branch, and then even whole trees. The trees spoke, wait, you need only ask and we'll cover you. The trees called out to darkness again. As darkness moved among their branches, their leaves began to fall. A warm blanket of yellow, orange, and red covered the land as far as the eye could see. The trees reassured, life itself returns. Life itself always returns. You must trust. The humans, toasty and warm, smiled upon one another once again. Fear, however, continued to speak louder and louder. There is not enough fruit for everyone. Take what your family needs before others will. Soon humans began to fear humans. They started to fight over the fruit, taking more than they needed, more than they even wanted, while others had none. The trees looked down upon the chaos and hatred. They could not smile. They could only weep. Big, wet tears rolled down their bare branches. In the cold air of darkness, those tears froze into tiny needles of ice. Thousands of little icicles rang out in the wind of darkness, filling the cold air with sound. Far away, Life itself heard the tinkling of icicles and knew the trees had been weeping. Life itself turned toward the north and reached out. Warmth and love filled those trees, melting the thousands of icicles and leaving in their place lush green needles of life. The humans stretched out their hands. As they touched the green needles, they remembered the promise. Life itself returns. Life itself always returns. Once again, life itself smiled upon the trees, giving them warmth and light. The trees smiled upon the humans, giving them wood and fruit. The humans smiled upon each other, sharing what they had. And fear? Fear was kept to a whisper as it should be. I entered this building for the first time. The building that houses the third body that our breath is feeding right now. The building that houses the community and the commitments of First Universalist Church. I traveled from South Carolina for a weekend of final interviews for the position of member, Minister of Membership and Adult Ministries. And I brought my husband, Jason, along because I really, really wanted this to work and I had an agenda to convince him that we should move our family to Minnesota so that I could serve First Universalist. To convince him, but in that way where it's also a mutual decision. Yeah. 
some of the lasting impressions from that very first Sunday that I spent with you include discovering that First Universalist home is in a synagogue. I felt like I belonged here from the beginning as a Unitarian Universalist with Jewish heritage. You were a people who could hold complexity, and specifically my particular genre of religious complexity. Secondly, you had egg rolls for sale after the service. <laughs> Clearly, you were geniuses. <laughs> but what made the biggest impression on me was this question that Reverend Justin posed during the service that morning, a question that you clearly asked yourselves on a regular basis. Where is love calling you next? This question showed me who you were and what ministry together with you could be. Where is love calling you next? This question brought me to you. This question has sustained, deepened, and challenged my spiritual life uh, over the nearly six years that I've been with you. And this is the question that has been tugging at me over the past year and a half since I've returned from my maternity leave. Where is love calling you next? To my Unitarian Universalist ears, this question is asking about the core commitment of our Universalist heritage. It's asking about aligning ourselves with love as deeply as possible, as the primary spiritual practice. And from this core spiritual commitment to love, we build lives and communities created um, of each other and for each other. When we follow love, we make commitments to communities and to entities that are far greater than us. Promise is our worship theme this month, and promises are what wholesome, meaningful lives are built of. As Robert Bly reminded us this morning, a deep, life-giving promise can take on its own life and become a kind of third body that people share in common and feed together. And of course, because we are humans, the practice of living our promises will always be imperfect. It will involve failure, roadblocks, major detours, and some U-turns. Six years ago, I followed the call of love and said yes to this position and moving to Minneapolis, and so did Jason of his own accord. And since that time, something has always felt very clear to me. This was the best job ever. And professionally, there was nowhere else that I wanted to be. Ministry in a large, healthy congregation with open-hearted, authentic, justice-loving people, where I get to welcome newcomers and do lots of interesting programmatic stuff, on a staff of spiritually mature, supportive, fun-loving people in a vibrant Midwestern city within driving distance of my parents' house. <laughs> I won the jackpot when I got to take on this ministry, and I have never stopped feeling 
Like there's nowhere else in Unitarian Universalism that I would feel more fulfilled. Which is why the past year and a half since my second child was born has felt so confusing. I started to feel love calling me to step aside from this amazing ministry in order to channel more of my energy into my family at this time when our children are so young. This is a choice that is a tremendous privilege. I know that so many people don't have the choice to stop working the job or multiple jobs they're holding down to make ends meet, and I'm grateful. And this clarity came at a time when First Universalist had also gotten its own clarity about bringing on a full-time minister of color in the next five years, which feels so deeply aligned with the racial justice work of this community. And so here I found myself, this straight, cisgender, white lady, trying to get this big, beautiful ministry to fit into this very full life of little kids and evenings and weekends, trying to shrink a ministry down to fit into my life right now, trying to think of ways where maybe I could just chop off a piece of it to take on as my own, but that never felt like it would be in the best interest of the church. And all the while, I'm just clutching onto this position so that it can remain mine because it's the best and I don't ever want to give it up. While also knowing that when the church brings on another minister of color, it has an opportunity to align with its deepest values because it matters who has authority in the church system and it matters whose stories and truths take the lead from the pulpit and it matters who is out front leading this community. Needless to say, the energy of that particular wrestling match did not have me feeling very aligned with love. And being with my full family, full time, did have me feeling that alignment. And that's just the truth of it. And what I'm trying to do this morning is share with you the full nuanced textures of this decision. And in case you find yourself wondering, I want to be very clear that I have been so deeply supported by the leadership here as a minister, as a mother, and as a human being with a life. No one has ever whispered a single suggestion to me that I should leave my position for any reason. I have only been asked what might make this feel even better? What I'm trying to tell you is that this particular call has certain contours to it. This very clear primary focus of being present with my family in a very particular way at this very particular time, but also this gut feeling that something is asking to be born. Something is asking to be born in my life, and something is asking to be born in the life of this church. And what's so hard about following this call is it means letting go of something of a lot of people who I've loved very much. Letting go of my ministry with you. This is my final sermon 
in my current role here as minister at First Universalist. My last day will be on June 2nd, the day of the annual meeting. And I do understand we'll have a little celebration then. And after that, I'll be stepping away from participation and leadership at First Universalist for one full year. And I have a lot of respect for this practice in Unitarian Universalism of boundaries and clarity of role. It's going to help whoever the next person who comes in really be able to serve you and serve the ministry of this church as best they can. Of course, I'm also mad at it because I wanted to find a way to also be here but also do the other thing I want to do. Um, but it's the right thing to do, and I'm going to miss you very much. Our deepest, most meaningful promises will always ask us to transform. Transformation is the nature of the spiritual life. Transformation that we don't control. Transformation that calls us into something that we must trust yet cannot fully see or comprehend. Love's call can feel like a persistent yes that is inviting us into something that doesn't quite make sense or that feels like more letting go than we can tolerate or like going backwards. And that can feel scary. But we know that when we're moving with sacred creativity, Fear gets relegated to the back seat, and we can trust that life itself always returns. So I'm going to follow the lead of love and appreciation, and I want to tell you about how you have changed me, First Universalist. You are the first and only congregation I've had the privilege of serving as minister. I've learned and grown in countless ways. It pains me that I can't stand up here and articulate all of them. But this morning I want to share five particular things with you. Number one, you have taught me the many ways that worship feeds us. Sometimes when you choose to let the thing that you love, the thing that feeds you, become your professional life, it can get squeezed and squished and end up morphing into a responsibility that is not life-giving anymore. After years here, leading and attending services at First Universalist still consistently is an experience of worship for me. Because truth-telling, vulnerability, and beauty are the bedrock of what happens here. And we've been through so much together. We've come together in times of pain and fear. I think of the Sunday we grieved after Philando Castile's murder, after the shooting at the Pulse nightclub, the Sunday after our 45th president's election, and the Sunday after his inauguration. And we've come together in times of great celebration one of my very first days of ministry here, I think has gone down in the church's history as the big gay wedding celebration. <laughs> we celebrated marriage equality. We married so many couples right here in church and ate a bunch of cake. I love celebrating with you. 
You are willing to ask hard questions with open hearts, humility, and curiosity. Number two, you have taught me listening as a spiritual practice. How many times have I sat in a small group at church and thought, oh, oh, I have something really good to say. Or, oh, please don't have big emotions right now or feel sadness. Let's look at the bright side. Or, oh, I have good advice for you. But I held my tongue, trusted the process, and offered compassionate listening to the person who was sharing. This spiritual practice of listening to one another without judgment or interruption has changed my life. It has infused the way I show up as a spouse, as a parent, as a friend, as a white person doing work around race and privilege. I'm more receptive, more grounded, more trusting, and frankly, I'm more amazed by humanity than ever. The ways that these practices, the ways you've ask them to infuse the culture at First Universalists has drawn people to you and created an inviting home for the spirit. Number three, you have taught me what teamwork and power sharing look like. A few years ago, I went to a minister's conference in Florida, and I knew there was gonna be an opportunity one day at lunch to meet with some other assistant and associate ministers, and I was really excited to learn from them because I was new to this position. So we sat down and started talking, and it turns out the entire discussion at lunch revolved around one question. How can I get the church I serve to possibly understand that I'm a minister too? That's never been a question that I've had to ask here because from the very beginning, you invited me in through a culture of collaboration, power sharing, and mutual respect. I can't emphasize enough what gifted ministers, lay leaders, and staff I've had the chance to collaborate with here. And I just wanna shout this from the rooftops because we all know that it's not always that way in religious communities. That's like the understatement of the year. <laughs> My work with the leadership of circles and racial justice, membership and hospitality leaders, it's been so gratifying because we've all been on the same team together. We're all doing ministry together and we care about each other, we care about the people of this church, and we care about its mission. And your ministers and programmatic leaders. All right, so I have been behind the scenes here. For nearly six years, I've witnessed how the church sausage gets made. And don't worry, I'm not gonna take that metaphor very far, but I just want to tell you that the ministerial and programmatic leadership here is made of awesome. It's made of integrity, kindness, love, empathy, and fun. And in lots of other communities, I know it also gets filled with yucky additives like big egos and power plays, but not here. I didn't know that leadership could be this wholesome and trustworthy, and I'm so grateful to Jen, Justin, Ruth, Karen, Lauren, and the whole staff here for showing me what that looks like.
All right, I have two more points and some wrap-up comments. This is moving along, so hang in with me. Number four, you have taught me how much showing up for each other matters. I've seen a family experience a loss of a loved one, and I watch you show up. Ushers, reception volunteers, coming to pay your respects and honor the sacredness of life. You show up at coming of age. You show up at weddings. We showed up with activists for the Movement for Black Lives when they invited us to protest in the street, at the Mall of America, downtown, at the governor's mansion. We showed up when our Jewish and Muslim friends are grieving in the aftermath of horrifying shootings. I watch you show up because your friends in the community are hurting and they make a request and even when you don't have all the information or it's uncomfortable or confusing, it matters to trust and to show up and say, I see you, I'm here, and I care. I watch you show up in small groups, to Sunday morning worship, to inconvenient committee meetings, because you know that your presence matters. And that's how community works. That's how we feed the third body. Number five, you've taught me what it looks like to choose integrity and to choose discomfort. It has been so powerful to be part of a predominantly white church community that has been energized and enlivened by a deep racial justice commitment instead of frozen in guilt and shame. Personally, I've come to understand whiteness and my own privilege on a whole new level through being here. I've learned more about stopping confusing discomfort with an actual threat. I've come to see more deeply how my own liberation is bound up in everyone's liberation. And this soul work happened because of you, because of the commitment we all made together. And this new way of being committed to racial justice work as a white person is not something I can undo. And I would never want to undo it. I will carry this promise with me wherever I go. First Universalist, my commitment to you has transformed me, and I am so deeply grateful to you from the bottom of my heart. My sense is that we are both on the precipice of a life-giving transformation, because transformation is what happens when we align ourselves with love and with the best kind of sacred promises. I don't claim to see into the future. I don't know what's coming. I'm not saying it won't be hard, but I'm confident that if we keep moving in the ways we've been moving and keep on taking directives from love and keep putting fear in its place in the back seat and trusting that life itself will return, something wonderful is going to happen. May it be so, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. 
We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.